Shouting is a triumphal thing. It's a, it's a victorious thing. And we do that for a reason. We're made to shout. There's something about it. It's not a dysfunction. Nobody has to be taught to shout. We all know how to make loud, emotional outbursts with our voices. And we know how to shout loudly. Um, there's an there's a English, a British poet that actually wrote this line, Inside everyone is a great shout of joy waiting to be born. You know, what, so what is a joyful shout? Why is that? What, do we, what does that look like? What does it mean? I've been doing a series the last number of weeks called Face to Face with Jesus. And the whole idea of is inter- is situation where people are interacting with Jesus and either talking to him, at him, with him, or whatever. But kind of real life scenarios and trying to unpack, you know, what does this tell us about Jesus? What does this tell us about us? Last week, we talked about the term crying out. And we're going to look at that again this week. Go to the next slide, uh, Tim. Crying out, which often in the, in, when people were crying out to Jesus, last week we talked about some of the people that were healed, whether it was Bartimaeus, a blind man, or a woman, or a, there was also a, woman, a mom and a dad, both who had children that had significant demonic issues, and they cried out to Jesus. They shouted. Often the Bible, whichever version you have, will translate it as shouted. They shouted out to Jesus and crying out. It was kind of this emotional outburst. And so we're going to look again at this week as another situation where there's a face-to-face interaction with Jesus where people are crying out. And again, most of the versions will ch- translate it as shouting. And the word cry out, I think, you know, the word, the, 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 the word itself, the Greek word itself, which I usually don't do, but it's kind of neat, interesting. The word is kradzo. And it's one of those words that's called an onomatopoeia. The word sounds like the sound. So when you cry out, kradzo, it's likened to a croak of a frog. You know, kradzo. You know, it's kind of like, it's something you, it's a sound. And in that day and age, according to the Romans or the Greeks, if you were sophisticated, sophisticated people didn't do that. Especially not in religious settings. It was considered kind of unworthy or undignified, unsophisticated. So last week, remember, I mentioned that when Bartimaeus Kradzo, when he cried out to Jesus, or when the father or the mother cried out to Jesus, or when Peter was sinking in the water when he was walking to Jesus, he cried out to Jesus. Those are considered in some circles in those days as undignified kind of ways of responding to religious things or to responding to God. So today we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 21, and it's when people are crying out to Jesus. It's, it's this Palm Sunday. And so we're going to look at the day where Jesus goes in Jerusalem. He's actually going from Bethany, which is like a small little town outside of Jerusalem, like uh, maybe a little suburb, maybe, maybe like what Ellisville is to Bloomington, although it was much smaller, and Bethlehem, or Jerusalem is much smaller than Bloomington too. But Jesus had been at Bethany, and if you remember, he had uh, pretty quickly, pr- pretty in the most recent kind of events, he had uh, participated in raising Lazarus from the dead. So not only had people heard about the miracles of Jesus throughout the last couple years, but they heard about this particular event where he's, at least what they heard was he raised somebody from the dead. So this is the Sunday, he's, they're going into Jerusalem, it's a, it's a, it's the week of Passover, which every single Jewish girl, boy, woman, man knew. You were kind of expected to go to Jerusalem for this huge festival celebrating the Passover, which was when God released and set his people free from Egypt to the desert to go to the Promised Land. So it was a big celebration. So Jesus is coming to town, 
And uh, let me just read the events of what happened. This actually is a picture. This is actually a picture of the road from Bethany, Jerusalem. It's kind of an arid culture. So, so Jesus and his disciples are heading to Jerusalem for the Passover festivities. And just listen as I read you know, what took place. And I'll, I'll highlight where the people are shouting. Well, again, we'll talk about what's going on there, all right? So as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. <laughs> just an aside on that. If you were one of those two disciples, you'd be like, I'm supposed to do what? I'm, this, I've never heard a sermon on that itself. But it's like, I'm supposed to, okay, go do this. And if somebody says, hey, that's my colt and donkey, well, the Lord needs them. Uh, okay, okay. You know, they're like, Who? But I'm sure the disciples had seen enough of what Jesus was doing and knew enough of his authority and his power. They're like, okay, we'll do it. Sounds kind of weird. I mean, Jesus likes that, asking us to do things that stretch us. So then it says, the Lord needs it, and they will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, and this is a prophecy from the Old Testament that Matthew, who wrote this gospel, they're now, they realize after the fact, oh, this is what was happening. The prophecy, this is from an Old Testament book of Zechariah. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Riding a donkey was a way for a king to enter with humility, and it also indicated he was coming to bring peace. He didn't come on a war horse. He didn't ride in Jerusalem on a war horse. He came on a donkey. It was, it was a symbol of peace, the kingdom of peace. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. So at this point, there's not yet too much of a commotion, although we assuming, and we'll see in the passage, there were people that were kind of coming with them. It wasn't just Jesus and the 12 disciples. There was kind of an entourage, and even people who were from that area who knew what Jesus had done. So you know, this crowd is starting to gather. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. That, was no, that culture was kind of a way to uh, welcome royalty, put the tree, you know, the palm branches down. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Kradzo, cry out. So whether you think of One Direction or the Patriots Parade or Beatles, I'm not trying to demean Jesus, but it, there was, it was an uproar. There was shouting going on. It was, not, it, was not a, uh, it was not a quiet situation. They were shouting. Here's what they were shouting. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, what they were shouting was actually, again, something was from Psalm 118, and it was a part of the, re- the religious tradition when they went to these festivals. Psalm 118 was one of the things they shouted. We read that at the beginning of the service. Remember when he said, I said, we'll read this, and you'll respond, and you'll read, and you'll respond. That was part of their religious celebration, to read those texts. So that's why the people knew it. They knew that text was something they'd been taught since childhood. But they're bringing it a whole new meaning, because now they're shouting it. Hosanna, whole idea of Hosanna, it simply means, in, the, in that culture, the day, it meant to kind of save us. Hosanna. Kind of like, you're the one. Bring, it, bring into reality what we've been told is going to happen when God finally gets charge of the world. Hosanna. It was a cry for rescue. I suppose if you were in a, fell off a ship and were in the water, you might cry up, Hosanna. But it was kind of this triumphant, 
Hosanna, save us. You can do it. So they're shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And again, it wasn't like an organized shout. It was kind of this spontaneous crying out, kind of like the shouts we saw in the videos. So they're shouting. They're responding to something. Again, the question I ask is, what's going on? Why are they doing this? Because see, shouting, when we shout, it's usually because, like I said, we're... It's a shout of triumph. It's a shout of expectation. I mean, when you shouted when IU made the basket, or if you shouted at something you've been at, you didn't think before when you went to the game, I think I'll shout sometimes during the game. It happened. It just happened. Because you're responding to something that you felt like gave you some degree of joy and meaning. And in this context, rescue. Because we all want something that gives us a sense of meaning and purpose and something larger than ourselves that gives us an identity. So when Christian Watford made that shot, I was an IU fan. That was my identity for a few seconds. And it feels really good. If you're a Kentucky fan, sorry, it probably felt really bad, right? But it feels really good when you shout. Because you're thinking, finally, finally, this gives me meaning. This gives me, and of course, none of us thought about that when we watched IU shoot or the Colts won the Super Bowl or whatever. But in a small way, we experience what one author calls this false transcendence. We kind of tie ourselves into this identity of, I need, because we all are made to need something bigger than us to give us meaning and identity. That's how we're made. So we find that it's not wrong. It's not wrong to cheer for IU or the Colts or maybe wrong to cheer for the Patriots. But it's not wrong to cheer. It's not wrong to shout. But let that only say to you how God made you to celebrate and shout for something greater than you. So when these people are shouting, they had this sense was, we've heard about what Jesus did. He may be the one. Because they knew there was to be a Messiah, the son of David, who would come and rescue them. Of course, in their minds, they thought rescue was simply political. Because at that time, Israel had been occupied by the Romans. Think Germany occupying France. So it wasn't, they were not welcome. They were not kind. They were oppressed people. So they're thinking, finally, he may be the one. If he can do these miracles, he can kill the Romans with one wave of his hand. Finally, he's the one who's going to rescue us. Because the cry of Hosanna is a cry of wanting rescue. What situation in your life, if you had a chance to cry out Hosanna to Jesus, would you want rescue from? Where do you want rescued? What in you is, do you feel stuck, trapped, shackled it's the same kind of thing they, they think this is it so it said they, they shout this and they said the entire city of jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered and when you hear uproar think uproar it wasn't organized clean dignified or orchestrated it was an uproar it was chaotic and people are shouting who is this and the crowds replied it's jesus the prophet from nazareth in galilee it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Now, some of them, it's just the prophet. They, some of them were still trying to figure, is he the prophet from Galilee or is he the one? Like the Messiah, the anointed one? But there was enough of an excitement that they knew something, this guy may be the one who can rescue me and ha- finally help me to become the kind of person I always dreamed I ha- could be, having the life I always dreamed I could have. A life that's full of goodness and a life that comes from God. That's what they were hungering for. That's what we hunger for. 
Then Jesus entered the temple. This is part of the same passage, chapter 21. He entered the temple, and you may know this story, but it's when he drives out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over tables, the money changers, chairs of those selling doves. Again, there's a longer story here, but the basic issue is people had turned uh, some of these religious practices into money-making ways. And Jesus uh, knew that, and it angered him. And so he's flipping tables, kicking out animals. And he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer. You have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So something's happened here. There's momentum coming in like waves. He heals these people, blind people, lame people. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, crying out. The children in the temple were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Even the children were shouting to Jesus. And the next line is one of those ones that doesn't make sense, but it does make sense. And it says the religious leaders were indignant, angry, red hot, ticked off. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? I mean, not only are they saying, they're, they're shouting this. Do you hear, Jesus? Kind of like, correct them. They shouldn't be shouting this way. They shouldn't be shouting what they're shouting. Yes, Jesus replied, haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. So we have this. Not only were the adults us shouting crying out crodzoing the children were and here's the question i'll ask when's the last time you shouted for jesus unless you get fearful no we're not going to have a shouting time here we're not going to do that and i'm not saying you should go in your car and shout for jesus <laughs> i remember i was at a i was at a uh, used to be in a big event years ago called promise keepers it was a big gathering of men you know, to kind of challenge people spiritually. And I was at one at Soldier Field in Chicago. So it was all men in Soldier Field, not a football game, but to hear people talk about Jesus. And some in the crowd started chanting, um, we love Jesus, yes we do, we love Jesus, how about you? And the other side would yell back, and so kind of cheesy, yeah. But I'm not talking about that kind of shouting for Jesus. I'm not talking about that, because anybody can do that. That's just, that's just kind of, I don't know. Maybe silly a little bit. It's just, it's just something you can, you, can, you can well that up inside of you. Hey, yeah, well, you know, and, you've, and you've probably been in church settings where people shouted and you may have felt like that felt a little bit forced or that felt like it was fake. Like they're, they're doing it as they know they're supposed to do it. And there's other things you may have seen in church gatherings where people did things you may have considered undignified, whether it was you know, raising hands, shouting, things like that, because we tend to have our own perception of what's dignified. Well, we don't tend to have, we do, right? I can still remember um, the first time when I was in college and I saw somebody singing with their eyes closed, you know, kind of like this. And, I, and my, my internal reaction was, oh, come on. Who do you think you are? You, you think you're spiritual? I mean, I really had that kind of What's that all about? Open your eyes, man. Sing with the rest of us. And then it got worse when I saw somebody raising their hands because I grew up in a church where 
You don't do that. That's only for people that are a little bit out there. That's really undignified. Had the same thing, like, what are you, what's that all about? What are you doing? I mean, I really had those kind of reactions, and I'm a whole different place now. And they see me raise my hands up here, and I'm not, this is not a way to try to force you to raise your hands or things. But there are certain expressive ways of worship that the Bible talks about that we often think are undignified for whatever reason. Shouting among them. And again, I'm not gonna, we're not going to have a shouting match here. We're not gonna, we love Jesus. Yes, we do, back and forth. But what's, what's going on in those situations? And are there times where that kind of emotion toward Jesus could be warranted? Of course there are. You know, in, in that sense, in this sense, and even in last week's sense, the crying out was to get Jesus' attention. So uh, if you were here last week, I had a couple of Miss Manners letters that I read. Remember, you know, Dear Miss Manners, it was like the newspaper column. I have another one to read, another one that I wrote up, just to kind of, again, I want you to think about how do you get somebody's attention, what's dignified, what's not. This is, so this is a real letter uh, published in the Washington Post. Dear Miss Manners, what is the best way to get one's needs attended to in a restaurant? I have known people to rattle silverware and a glass if being ignored by the waitstaff, but that seems demanding and disruptive to other customers. The person who delivered our dessert, besides not bringing silverware, Emily didn't understand my husband's friendly, quote, now we just need something to eat it with. Our wait person was out of sight, and all their employees ignored waves and attempts to get their attention. I finally got up and approached the hostess, who was in conversation with another employee, whom I may have offended by gently touching her on the shoulder, and I said, excuse me, could we please have some spoons for our dessert? I certainly got unpleasant body language from the employee as she spoke to the hostess, saying she would take care of it. The hostess pleasantly brought us some spoons. It had been unappetizing and annoying wait for we hoped silverware would appear, and I felt I was intruding when I finally made my request. And then Miss Manners responds. She always responded, Dear gentle reader. Dear gentle reader, it is indeed rude to bang on the tableware, the tableware in hopes of attracting attention. So if you do that, stop. Right? Miss Manners supports your direct appeal to the hostess, although she does not share your judgment that sarcasm directed at servers is properly characterized as friendly behavior. All right? Here's one I wrote up. Dear Miss Manners, recently I traveled to Jerusalem as part of a religious celebration with my family. We do this annually, so generally we know what to expect each time we go for the celebration. As with any religious traditions, there are rituals and specific behaviors that are part of the yearly celebration. However, just yesterday, I was quite perturbed by what I saw, and I'm wondering if you would help me solve a minor disagreement with my wife and I are having over what we saw. This young Jewish rabbi who goes by the name Jesus, who purportedly has special powers, and some people claim he can heal people and perform other miracles. Like any other Jew, he too is coming to the same festival in Jerusalem. However, he made quite an entry, which frankly I found quite out of the norm, a bit outrageous and rather undignified. It wasn't him I found outrageous and undignified. It was the reaction of the crowd that greatly offended me. They were throwing coats and branches in the road in front of Jesus as he rode an ordinary donkey into town. To make matters worse, they were shouting and crying out, quite undignified in my opinion, making claims about Jesus that were quite outrageous. Even the children in the temple were shouting and crying out in the same way. But I can excuse children. That's what children do. But the boorish behavior of the adults was quite a breach of proper religious etiquette. My wife, however, thinks all of this was okay, and she was even intrigued by this man, Jesus. I'm somewhat ashamed to admit that my wife was one of the ones shouting and adding to the uproar, please help solve our dispute. 
All right, I have no mismanners response for that. But again, the question I'm asking is, when's the last time you did anything of emotional expression toward Jesus that came not from a place of guilt, although the pastor said I should shout for Jesus, so Jesus, I'm not, but came from a place of an acknowledged desperate need for hope, healing, and rescue. Because we all feel that. And again, I'm not, I'm not advocating finding a shouting place, go out to Lake Monroe, find a quiet place, and shout a few times. I'm not advocating shouting in church or shouting in your car. I'm not, advoca- I'm not, not advocating that either. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just not, there's not wrong to do those things, I'm, but I'm not trying, I don't want to make anybody feel, there's no, there's no guilt, or I'm not trying to manipulate into certain behaviors that feel unnatural and stupid to you. But there are certain behaviors that may come out of some place inside of you that will feel unnatural, but will feel very natural. Because it comes from a place where you know you're desperate and you have need and you believe and you want to believe with all your heart that perhaps this Jesus that I've heard about in church all my life growing up or I've heard about here and there, maybe he can bring hope and healing to my life. And if he can, isn't it worth trying to get his attention? Isn't it worth letting people know this is who this guy is? Isn't it worth trying to get rescued if the only person that can rescue you is nearby? So, maybe there will be at some time in this next week, maybe you're, maybe you're worshiping by yourself, maybe you are in your car listening to radio station, Christian radio, Christian music, whatever, maybe you're home by yourself, maybe you're in a church service, and something, you, you start to understand, I... And, and you, you want to be expressive toward Jesus in a way that you realize it's not feeling forced or manipulative, but I feel like something... Because our bodies do respond to what our souls hunger for, right? Our bodies... I mean, that's why I said when Watford made that shot, nobody sat there and yawned. Your body reacts to something that your soul is excited about. So when the Bible talks about people raising their hands, they're shouting for joy or kneeling or clapping... Those are not simply things to get a sense of momentum in a crowd so you feel like there's energy going on there. No, it's something that in a right kind of way, our bodies align with our souls and something begins to happen in our souls because we're doing, we're, we're using our bodies in our worship before God. I had one friend of mine said, well, I don't like to sing. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't think that's an option. To buy, you know, all over the Psalms, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. Shout to the Lord. Shout for joy. Raise your hands. Kneel down. Clap your hands. And again, please hear me. We're not, gonna, we're not having some extended worship time now. We're going to do all that. I'm just saying, those are things the Bible talks about, but we have this, I do, I did, I still do, this dignification meter. Well, I can't do that. People are going to think it's weird if I do that here. Or, and we even think it's weird if we do it. I, I remember one of the first times, and I'm, not, I'm just saying this is one of the first times where I... Wanted to put, I wanted to get on my knees and I prayed with my forehead to the ground, which is how the Jewish people pray, how Muslims pray today. But I was by myself. But I made sure all the shades were closed. I made sure nobody was in the house because I was afraid that somebody would see me. That's how strong our dignified meter is. What if somebody sees me doing this? And again, it's not so much about these behaviors as it is about the hunger every one of us has for rescue and hope, and healing, and change. 
That's why we do it. And we're not doing it to get Jesus' attention. We're not rattling spoons like Jesus forgot about us. But it's a response to Jesus for what we know he alone can do. So when we sing, when we worship, we're not just vibrating vocal cords that hit the ceiling and come back down. We're not just trying to create an emotional environment so that you're kind of worked up so you can hear the message better. When we sing, when we worship, something is going on in your own soul. Something's going on in his response to Jesus. When you pray by yourself, when you're, there, there may be times during the week where you may just have a response to Jesus that you feel like came out of nowhere, but it came because it came from here. It didn't come from like a behavior manual. It came from the deepest part of your soul. For the next slide, there's a passage in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. And Zechariah is the book, it's a prof, one of the prophets for the end of the Old Testament. This is the book where they have the passage about the king riding on the colt that, that was quoted from Matthew 21. But I love this particular verse, Zechariah 2.10. The Lord says, Shout and rejoice, for I am coming to live among you. That was the promise that Jewish people a couple thousand years ago grabbed onto that. God is coming to live among you. He's with you. His promise is he's coming to be with you. He will, live, he, will, he will live in your house. He will live in your car. He will live where you work. He will go where you go. He's with you. And when, when Jesus is with you, there's an unending source of power and courage and peace and hope and joy. And I don't say that just to be trivial or religious sounding. But he says he's going to be with us. There is no, as far as I know, world religions... There's no world religion that talks about God being with his people in that way. That's one of many things that's unique about Christianity. This God says, I'm going to be with you as my people. I'm coming to hang out with you. I call you friends, Jesus said. So the end of the conclusion here, go to the next slide. This is the last slide. My, my, my challenge last week was to cry out to Jesus. And my challenge this week is the same thing. Cry out to Jesus and the word Hosanna, which, I, again, I said it means, oh, save us, oh, save us. It's that kind of cry out. And just encourage you that maybe there's some way in which that comes from inside of you toward Jesus this week. It's going to feel, it could feel awkward, weird, strange. It may be a quiet thing for you. It may be a loud thing for you. It depends on really what the situation is and where you are and what you feel like God's asking you to do. But it's a response to the power of Jesus it's not, a, it's not a religious ritual that you do to somehow earn favor with God. It's a response to what you know Jesus can do in your life, in your relationships. All right, let's pray. You know, um, uh, this just came to me. The, when we were, we, there's a group of us that pray before the service at 9:45. Anybody's welcome. It's in this side room over here. But one of those who prayed just said they felt like there'd be some who would come here this morning that just have a deep sense of needing mercy from God today. Mercy is 
kind of forgiveness and grace and an extension of favor to those who don't think they deserve it. And just who maybe are weary. The verse that Jer- the, the song that we sang earlier that Jeremy talked about the story of somebody being weary. Mercy is a cry for rescue. So if that's you, and if you would say, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm in a place of weariness. I'm in a place of exhaustion. I'm in a place, you may be at a place where you think you're a prodigal. I'm way away from God, but I, I need mercy. With your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you in the spirit of Hosanna just to stand, not to say anything, you're not shouting, but if that's you, if you would say, yeah, I, I, I would cry out, my standing would represent it of me crying out to Jesus for mercy. I'm just going to ask you to stand. Everybody keep your eyes closed. I'm going to ask you to stand if that's you. God, you're, you're, your promise, God, is that in our day that you would pour out your spirit on all flesh, old, young, men, women, college students, and retired people, 10-year-olds. So God, I pray for these who are standing, who in the spirit of Hosanna are letting their bodies, in a sense, cry out to you for something they know only you can give, and that's mercy. Like the prodigal who came home after a horrible, sinful adventure. Or like someone who just is impoverished of spirit, maybe by not by their own doing, but just as experience a weariness of spirit. So whatever got these people, and for all of us when we get to those places, whatever gets us to that point, to some degree is not relevant, but we are, many of us find ourselves at that point where mercy is what we need most from you. And you are merciful beyond measure in enormous, incredible ways. So I pray, Jesus, that you would pour out on each of these individuals standing mercy and they would know and they would experience somehow this week or this day or this month whenever they would know that you are hearing them because you are a god who hears us and you're a god who said i will come and live among my people so i pray for mercy and i pray that through all of us every single person standing or sitting that your mercy would flow through us into the lives of those who live around us work around us who are in desperate need of the only kind of mercy that we all need, and that's the mercy that comes from the Spirit of Jesus. Um, Go ahead and sit down, those of you who are standing. And God, we ask this all uh, in the name of Jesus. Um, Amen. Uh, We finish every Sunday with um, communion, and we do it because Jesus is the center of what we do. He's the apex of what we do. We're not... It's not about the songs, it's not about the sermon, it's not about anything else, but it's about Jesus. And this is a reminder, because Jesus said, do this and remember me, remember me, remember me. And what I've said before, it's not about remembering how much he hurt when he was crucified. Yes, we know that, 
And sometimes, you know, some, some places, you've, we've all been to maybe Good Friday services, um, you know, we're reflecting on the crucifixion of Jesus. And sometimes, in maybe unhealthy ways, it feel, like we feel like we're supposed to feel really sober and sad and guilty and bad that we made all this happen. That's not what Jesus is saying to remember. What he's saying to remember is remember the promises I gave to you about life, about joy, about abundant life, and remember where it comes from. And remember how you get that. You get that when Jesus said, because you follow me through whatever path I lead you through. So when he says remember, he's saying remember that I will give you life. Take this bread, he said, and when you eat it, remember me. Take this cup, and when you drink it, remember me. And remember the forgiveness that I offered you so now you can have life. That's the promise of Jesus, is life. Abundant life, joyful life, peace-filled life, merciful life. So here's how we did it, Exodus. You come on up to the front where the band's going to come up here. They can head on up here. Um, and we'll sing uh, a couple more songs. As soon as we start singing, anybody's welcome to come up for communion. And how we do it, we don't dismiss by rows. It's just you come on up. There'll be somebody to eat the, the middle aisle and the side aisles. And they'll have a loaf of bread, and they just offer it to you, tear off a piece. And then they'll offer you the cup, and how we do it here, you just dip your piece in the cup. Don't, don't try to drink out of the cup. It's just how we do it here. There's no, no deep reason for that. Um, most people eat it right away. Some people take it back to their seats and eat it. It's up to you however you want to do that. Anybody's welcome who would say they want more of the life of Jesus in them? And they want more of the promise. And that's when you take this into your body, you're taking it in with the spirit of Hosanna. Lord, save me. Lord, heal me. Lord, rescue me. Lord, change me. Lord, bring me to life and peace. And I know this is the only source for that. And as I said before, if there's some kind of issue in your life where you're giving Jesus a straight arm or you know you're ignoring or disobeying, it's to your benefit not to take. We don't check on who's up or down. If you want to talk about it to Dan or I or anybody else, we're willing to talk about it. But it's your benefit you're straight-arming Jesus not to take and be honest with your relationship with him. But everybody's welcome. So, Jesus, we thank you for your body broken and your blood shed for us. And you said, or the Word said, that you open up this new and living way for us. No longer the way of religious obligation and trying to earn points, but it's a way of mercy and grace where you said we can have new life by our trust and our following of you. So, Jesus, we're grateful. And we're, we're more than grateful. That's probably an understatement to say it that way. That you are the one, only one, that is worthy of our cries, our screams, our shrieks, our yells, our shrout, shouts. And may the other shouts and screams and yells we experience through life simply be shadows that point to you. The one who gives us the greatest meaning, identity, freedom, and rescue. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.